uh, Christmas is a time of planning. We spend all month, even longer, planning for the holiday. We plan parties, we plan lighting displays, Christmas services, service projects, winter vacations, family get-togethers, meals, gift exchanges. But how often do things go exactly according to plan on Christmas? Very rarely. I mean, this is the premise of every Christmas movie. In fact, things don't go as planned. Hilarity ensues. The lights don't work. Gifts don't arrive. Relatives don't behave. The roast is overdone. The flight is canceled despite our holiday dreams and visions. Christmas is reminder number one that things rarely go according to plan. This isn't just a holiday phenomenon, though. Life rarely goes according to plan. More often than not, in life, we find ourselves in circumstances we did not plan for. Despite our hard work and expectations, we are left standing in so many ways in the front lawn of our lives, plugging and unplugging extension cords, wondering why this won't work. As long as human beings have been making plans, those plans have been falling apart. And yet, is that a reality that we've really come to accept? Have you really truly come to terms with the fact that life doesn't go as expected? And if you have accepted that reality, how do you live well in light of it? How do you live well in the knowledge that things rarely turn out the way we intend? Dealing with life's unknowns is an important question that all of us would do well to think about. And dealing with life's unknowns is also an important question in the book of James. Uh, we're studying James this fall in our series called Wise Guy, because James is a fairly wise guy. James is a, a short book in the Bible that was likely written by the half-brother of Jesus, a guy named James, or as he was actually named in Greek and Hebrew, Jacob. James is just an old mistranslation of the name Jacob, but it's one that we've been working with for so long, everyone just kind of goes with it. But as we've seen in our study, the book of James, or, or Jacob, is actually a very, very practical book. The author's point is to challenge Jewish Christians around the Roman Empire to live lives of radical obedience to Jesus. It's not enough to call yourself a Christian. You have to look like one. You even have to talk like one. As James has already said in what we might call a theme verse to the book, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's the theme of the book. Do what it says. So James challenges us to, to look and act like Christians in every way, how we treat the poor, how we spend our money, how we care for orphans, how, how we speak, how we relate to others. And the book of James also challenge us, challenges us to look like Christians in how we plan for the future. So let me share with you the passage that we're going to study together this morning. It comes from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make some money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then poof, vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, well, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. 
If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now this is a really interesting passage. In these words, James speaks directly to anyone setting up massive holiday light displays believing they will actually work. (laughs) No, not really. It's not actually his audience, at least not directly. Here in this passage, he actually speaks to, to, to business people who are making plans to travel and and work and make some money. That's who he seems to be talking to. He even quotes what he believes they might be saying. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make some money. James says, you people who are planning these business trips, think again. Repent of your arrogant boasting, he says, your arrogant schemes. Now, this seems like an odd group of people to rebuke. People just trying to plan a business trip and make some money. There's a lot of sins that James confronts in his book. Greed, selfishness, favoritism, gossip. But business travelers? (laughs) What did they ever do to James? I mean, I know a lot of you might be business travelers. Uh, Maybe you were before COVID, at least. Maybe you've got some, some business trips on the books For next year, though, you've been planning them a while. You're hoping they go pretty well. And then James comes along and and tells you that you're just an arrogant schemer. What gives? My wife is planning a couple business trips for the hospital the next few months. She works at a hospital. I told her this week that she needs to repent of her arrogant scheming. (laughs) She said, that's fine, but I do need to watch Miranda while she's gone. I said, okay. (laughs) So what does James have against business travelers? Well, I think it's obvious here that James is not confronting business people per se. He's not attacking business trips or or making a profit. What's he condemning? He's condemning the arrogance that afflicts all of us who think we know how things will turn out. That's his real target. The arrogance to think we know how things will go. And this is not just a problem for business people. This is a problem for all of us. James condemns this arrogance in a few ways. First, he says such arrogance is ignorant. As he says in verse 14, why, you do not even know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. How, he asks, can you know what you're going to be doing a year from now when you don't even know what you're going to be doing tomorrow? I mean, have we learned from the coronavirus (laughs) that we don't know what our lives are going to look like one moment to the next? I mean, did anybody reasonably think a couple years ago that we would be living the lives that we are currently living right now? No. So why pretend we know what's going to happen next year? Who knows what variants we're going to be on next year? We'll probably have cycled through the Greek alphabet a couple more times. (laughs) We'll be on beta three. Secondly, he condemns such arrogance because of our insignificance. He goes on, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's what we are. We're mists. Mists don't last a year. I mean, have you ever gotten up in the morning, gone downstairs in the kitchen, brew your coffee, look out the back window into the backyard, and seen a, a, a fine little mist kind of settling there in the backyard. So pretty, so tranquil. Just stare at it out the window. Maybe there's a fawn jumping through the mist. <laughs> Just 
Just enjoy the moment. And then you bend over, you pour yourself some coffee. You look up. The mist is gone. Just blew away for the sun. Just burned it off like that. That's us. We're mists. Mists like you and I don't last the morning, let alone a year. And here's the thing about mists. When mists disappear, they aren't mist. That's poetry right there, people. (laughs) When mists disappear, they're not mist. No one's going to miss your mist. And lastly, he condemns such arrogance because it is impertinent. Impertinent means presumptuous, intrusive. Uh, Impertinent is actually a nicer word than the one James uses here in verse 16. Uh, He writes, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. He calls such arrogant planning evil boasting. Now, why evil? He's just called us Dr. Evil. Why evil? (laughs) That sounds so harsh. I mean, is it really evil to plan on a business trip? Well, yes, if it leaves God out of the equation. That's the big problem that James is confronting here. People who live their lives with no thought of God's will, God's plan, God's sovereignty over their own mistiness. That's what's evil about our business traveler. Not that she's planning to do well at, you know, next year's annual conference, but that she has not even considered whether or not this is something the Lord even wills for her to do. This is the purest form of godless living, the ultimate impertinence. Evil is not too strong a word to describe what it means to make plans without God. When we make plans without God, we tell the creator of the universe that even though we are weak and frail and insignificant, even though we are mists, we're going to pretend. We're going to pretend to be powerful and eternal and important and in charge. We're going to pretend to be gods, even though we're not. So that's the problem with the arrogance of thinking we know how things are going to happen. It's ignorant, insignificant, impertinent. It's evil. Now, in various ways, I'm sure we've all learned of this, Right? That we don't know the future, shouldn't pretend like we do. That's a lesson that I'm sure we've all learned at some point. But even with this knowledge, the temptation to arrogance lures us back in. We are the kind of people who want to believe that we control our destinies. So we allow ourselves to believe the lie. When I was an aspiring young church planner, for example, I had big dreams. Big dreams for the church that would become rooftop. This was back in the 90s. Uh, when the original Truman State CCF crew, plus my wife Michelle and I, started dreaming of maybe starting a church in our hometown of St. Louis, I left my campus minister job at Truman State, and I interned at a church down in Austin uh, while I got ready to launch a church here in St. Louis, and I worked with a couple organizations to help get Rooftop Up off the ground. Um, I needed funding, I needed support, we just needed lots of help. And these organizations, in order for them to know if they wanted to support us, I had to show them my plans. They needed to see my plans. And I had to have plans. So I had plans on income expectations. I had, like, charts and graphics and presentations. I had plans on membership goals. I had to show them my staffing plan. I had plans on, you know, what's going to happen at what point in our church history. I, I, I had to show them plans on how we intended to start Rooftop and then replicate it, and then replicate it again, and then replicate it again. In order to get their support, I had to have plans. So I remember standing in front of this 
uh, group, this high-powered group of, of pastors out in Phoenix, Arizona, making a presentation to secure some funding. And I remember saying in complete confidence to this board of high-powered pastors, I'm like, I am, you know, like 110% confident that we can get this church up and running. In fact, not only that, you know, if we play our cards right, within the first 5, 10 years of our church's history, we could have planted, you know, 50 to 100 other churches throughout St. Louis. So that in complete confidence. I had plans. I'd spent years checking the light bulbs, checking the connections, wiring the house. I had plans. And then, as they say, <laughs> reality set in. Practically nothing went according to plan. Not only did things not go according to plan, but lots of things like went directly opposite the plan. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the church launched successfully. We baptized lots of people. We actually just planted our first church last year after like 20 years. But we lost a lot of people along the way. We got politely kicked out of a denomination in our early years. I don't know if you knew that. Rooftop got kicked out of a denomination. That was fun. We got stuck in a small little uh, building from which we could not escape for over a decade. We found ourselves embroiled in devastating church conflict that broke apart families and friendships. I remember one of our, our lowest moments in the early years. I remember sitting in a board meeting with one of our staff members and one of our board members, two of my best friends, who were also, at one point, best friends with each other, and they had like, started hating each other. And they were yelling at each other and pointing fingers, saying unkind things, and there I was in the meeting, tears streaming down my cheeks, my head was in my hands, and I remember what I was thinking. I was thinking, this was not the plan. I had plans. Maybe another feeling. You had plans. You had plans to, to get a degree and launch a successful career only to find the, the market uh, tighter than you thought. You had plans of getting married early only to discover like dating in the modern era like impossible. You had plans to, to build a happy marriage only to find yourself like divorced after 25 years. Nobody plans that. You had plans to have kids only to find out that you can't. You had plans to adopt, only to find out you didn't qualify. You had plans to enjoy a happy retirement, only to get cancer. You had plans. We all have plans. Rarely, rarely do they come to pass. Rarely do house lights come on like we dreamt, and it's arrogant and evil to live otherwise. So, what do we do? Life doesn't happen the way we plan it. What do we do? Well, I can think of two things to do. First, repent of our arrogance. James is here calling out our sin. He's calling us arrogant schemers. That seems like an overreaction, like, rude, James. But it's not. We think we know so much. We think we're so smart. We think we can just live our lives the way we want to with hopes and plans and, and expectations and dreams, but we can't. Our lives aren't our own. They don't happen the way we expect. The unpredictability of life is one of the things that God has set in place to remind us of our place. 
The unpredictability of life is one of the things that God has set in place to remind us of our place, that our lives are not our own, and we are not God's. My life is not mine. Your life is not yours. We were given these lives by God with certain expectations on how to spend them. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Corinthians, he says this, you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. You know what that verse means? It means that our lives belong to Jesus. Our lives on our own, to think that we get to do whatever we want with our lives is the sheerest arrogance. We don't own our lives. I mean, it'd be like me going up to my neighbor and telling him, hey, Mike, I've been thinking about it, and here's what you need to do with your life. Like, uh, who gives you authority to tell me what to do with my life? Same with us. We don't have any authority to decide what to do with our own lives. We belong to God. To repent means to recognize this and apologize to God for it. Our arrogance is sin. It needs to be confessed to God. We need to repent of our arrogance that we can be forgiven and we can be forgiven. Jesus died to forgive us of many sins. Lust, greed, slander, and the arrogance to think we're in charge of ourselves. Repent of your arrogance. But we can't just leave it there. Once we've been forgiven, we've got to do something else. We have to live differently. Remember, that's the point of the book of James, helping us live like the Christians we say we are, live differently. So when it comes to living well and planning for the future, how do we live differently? How do we live differently, not arrogantly? Well, I can think of a few ways to do that, which I want to share before we close in worship. And these ways to live, I'll take as a given what James has established, that nobody knows what's going to happen to them one moment to the next. Given this knowledge, though, how should we live? I have three ways to live. Plan hopefully, pray humbly, and pivot happily. Plan hopefully, pray humbly, pivot happily. First, plan hopefully. Again, the problem here is not having plans. The problem is being arrogant and overconfident in how we think our lives will go. Nothing in the Bible says that the solution to arrogance and overconfidence is to not plan. Uh, read the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, and it will be very clear to you that having a plan is part of living life well. As you read in Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. In fact, not only should we have a plan, but we should have multiple plans. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is another wisdom book in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. And it has a lot of similarities to the book of James. And the book is about knowing how to live well given uh, life's limitations. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, for example, the author gives some very sound advice. He says this in Ecclesiastes 11, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And then a little bit later in the chapter, he says this, sow your seed in the morning, and at evening, let your hands not be idle. So work in the morning, work in the evening. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. 
So his point here is that we don't know what's going to work. God has not given us knowledge of the future. We don't know what's going to work. We don't know what disaster may come upon the land, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't make plans or investments. We should make more of them. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, even in eight. We should have backup plans and backup plans through the backup plans. So the solution to overconfidence in life isn't to not plan, it's to plan better. James is right that only God knows what will happen, but a good plan can actually take us pretty far. This is actually something that my wife Michelle and I are trying to help our college-age kid understand. He's thinking of, uh, about his future, and he's getting ready to leave the house eventually. It's terrifying. I, you empty nesters, I empathize with you now. It's terrifying watching your kids get ready to head out on their own. <laughs> we are constantly asking him, Max, what's your plan? What's your plan? What, please show us your plan. <laughs> You gotta have a plan. It's like, no, Dad, I'll figure it out. I'm like, no, no, no. Show us your plan. What's your plan? But I know what it's like to be 20 years old. I mean, you haven't learned how important it is to have a plan. I mean, for 20 years of my life, my plan was my parents. What's your plan? Oh, you're my plan. No. And even as a 47-year-old, I still haven't learned the importance of having a plan. I mean, my plans have fallen apart so many times over the years. I find myself wondering what the purpose of even having a plan is in the first place. The staff and the elders are always asking me, hey, what's our growth plan for Rooftop this year? And I'll think, do we need one? I mean, will it work? <laughs> but I know that's no way to live your life or lead your church. If you don't have a plan, you'll never get where you don't know you want to go. So here's the question. What do you want to see happen in your life? What do you want to see happen in your life? Have you given up on planning, dreaming? What do you want to see happen in your life? Where do you want to be in two years? It might not happen, but if you don't have a plan, it definitely won't happen. Plan, hopefully. Second, pray humbly. In the book of James, uh, humility is the great antidote to arrogance. As we've already read in the book, God opposes the proud. Us. God opposes us. Just so we're being specific. God opposes us, the proud, but shows grace to the humble. So it's okay to have plans, but we have to be humble enough to submit those plans to the Lord. We need to remember that nothing takes place in our lives apart from the sovereign will of God. As the book of Proverbs says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a, in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. This is what James is getting at. After he rebukes his audience, he tells them what their proper attitude should be. He says, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Not if I will, but if the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. So sure, we can make plans, but nothing's going to happen without God's approval according to his, according to his will. There is no more important question to ask ourselves at any given moment of any given day what the Lord's will is for us. As Christians, it should be our obsession and duty to understand and pursue God's will for our lives. We should get buried if it's God's will. We should have kids if it's God's will. We should go on business trips if it's God's will. We should switch careers if it's God's will. And we shouldn't if it isn't. To be a Christian means to live for God. The very Son of God himself models for us this prayerful humanity. What did Jesus Christ pray on the night of his arrest in the garden? 
not my will, but your will be done. I mean, the Son of God. No one has ever been so properly, purely motivated. And even he is praying, not my will, but your will. How much more should that be our prayer? Lord, not our will. Please, please, for the love of Jesus, not our will. The worst thing that could happen in this world is our will. <laughs> not our will. <laughs> your will. Now, I know that seeking out God's will can be quite a project. I mean, who of us really knows God's will? Sometimes the Lord reveals his will. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he gives us great freedom to make our best guess about what his will might be. Sometimes he reveals his will in our wills. But the difficulties of knowing God's will don't excuse us from the responsibility and the opportunity to seek it out. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Anything other than the Lord's will, total foolishness. Here's an honest question for you. How concerned are you to know and follow God's will for your life? Really? How concerned are you to know and follow God's will for your life? You're probably not opposed to the idea, right? Well, you know, yeah, if God wants to, like, reveal his will to me, I'll certainly, I'll give it due consideration. That's not what it means to be a Christian. You'll never discover the Lord's will unless you're absolutely desperate to receive it. How desperate are you to understand and follow God's will for your life? Desperate enough to get up early to pray? Desperate enough to scour the pages of Scripture to see what he might have to say to you? Desperate enough to call up some random weird pastor and like talk through some options? How desperate are you? If not, are you not just living the life you want? A life of arrogance, boasting, evil. Are you not just living life pretending to be a God? And if you're not praying humbly and desperately to know God's will for your life, that's what you're doing. You're living as though you're a God whose life is your own. You're living a lie and you will die in that delusion at which point you will wake up and realize you were never in charge. Plan hopefully, pray humbly, and lastly, pivot happily. What I mean is, be flexible. It's okay to have plans, even long-term ones, but none of us should be so arrogant to think that God might not give us new opportunities between now and then, and we might pass by some great opportunities if we're not willing to, to pivot, change course. This has been the story of my life, my autobiography, dealing with detours. Number of times I've just been stuck at a detour, like, well, where am I going? This way, I guess. I mean, like I said, when I got to St. Louis, we had long-term plans for what rooftop was going to look like. And when we started out, never, never would I have imagined that God would bring us to Afton. I didn't even know anything about this community. I grew up out in West County. No offense. Uh, people out in West County don't think a lot about Afton. Neither did I imagine that we'd be meeting in an old Presbyterian church with terrible acoustics and drafty office space. Now, I really believe that God gave us these new opportunities because he had something in mind for us better 
He has something in mind for us better and better for the kingdom, better than what we had in mind for ourselves. But it did take a while to release our vision to what God had in mind. And it worked out. I mean, we've been really blessed by our new location, new vision. I mean, it was like that with our adoption, too. When Michelle and I started our family, I had no idea we would eventually have a little Guatemalan girl running around our house. But after a couple terrible miscarriages, you pivot. And it worked out. I mean, so far. (laughs) High school years are coming soon. Check back in. (laughs) You got to be flexible. If you're not flexible, you're going to miss some great opportunities. There's this great story in the book of Acts that I really love. For example, uh, in the New Testament, of the Apostle Paul traveling throughout the continent of Asia, um, planting churches. He's actually running into a lot of failure, a lot of rejection, a lot of roadblocks. And finally, uh, Paul has a vision at night, a vision at night of a man from the region of Macedonia, different continent. And the man beckons Paul to come preach the gospel in his part of the world. So Paul decides to pivot. As Luke writes in Acts, he says this, After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once, at once, got to pivot, at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul and his team went to Macedonia, planted some of the world's most well-known churches, the church in Philippi. Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth. These churches would not have been started if Paul had not decided to pivot. Maybe the Lord is calling you to pivot. Maybe you've been banging your head too long against the same wall. Maybe he wants to open new opportunities for you, new careers, new directions, new relational status. Maybe you can be happy single. Open your mind up to that possibility. God knows better than we do, and it is the sheerest evil and arrogance to insist otherwise. So, I don't know what your Christmas plans are. I'm sure, they're going to be great. But they might not be. Christmas rarely turns out the way it's supposed to. The lights rarely turn on, for that matter. Life rarely turns out the way it's supposed to. But that's as it should be. The unpredictability of life is one of the ways that God keeps us humble. Now, we can ignore this reality. We can pretend we know what's going to happen, or we can repent of our arrogance and be forgiven by the blood of Christ. We can make in our plans and submit them to the Lord who approves all. We can pray long and hard to know his will and so align our hearts with his. We can pivot into new opportunities when he opens new doors. This alone, this alone, according to Jacob, a.k.a. James, is the way of wisdom.